Um, I'm actually sort of glad that you missed greeting time. It's sort of perfect, because it highlights this morning some of the things that we want to talk about together. And um, when our greeting time happens, um, here's something that I noticed. First of all, you people are like um, a little, I don't know how to say this nicely, um, obsessive-compulsive about where you sit. Amen? Yeah, like, uh, yeah, not at all, George. George never sat in that seat before. I think you were there when, that was like when, when Jesus went up to heaven, right? You were in that seat, I think. Um, we have our spots, right? You, in fact, it's funny because I, in my mind, I could close my eyes and I could probably tell where almost every person who is a regular attender here at the river sits. I can, I can point you out. I, I, I know where you sit. Um, which means that you know when someone's in your territory, right? Don't you? You know when there's someone strange who has entered into your area. So then the greeting time. What does the greeting time mean? And how do we think about that in terms of who we're sitting around? Since you are such incredible, obsessive, compulsive people of habit... You should know who sits near you. And you probably have shaken the hand of the person close to you, if you've been a regular attender here, many, many times on a Sunday morning. But you also know who is um, a guest or maybe a person who is uh, attended a couple times. And one of the things that we want to continue to grow into as a community is how we interact together around welcoming. That's the first of our values that we talk about here at the river. Disciples welcome. We show hospitality. And that greeting time is actually a really important part of that because for you to give a handshake or a hug, like I always say, handshake, a hug, or a high five, because some people are uncomfortable even with a handshake. You know, they got, they're, they're germaphobes. Maybe they want knuckles. Maybe I have to add one. Maybe for them, a hug is too much. But at least for us to acknowledge and look someone in the eye and say, glad to see you this morning. Maybe find out a name if it's someone that you don't know. Because we want to continue to grow in that welcoming of a stranger. But it's important for us to define how we think about stranger. Stranger is not simply someone that you do not know. A stranger can, in fact, be someone that you've seen many times before, but how you involve yourself in each other's life is a way that you can live into welcoming and hospitality. We have two screens. I missed that. How did that happen? Roger Borson. Thank you, Roger. Appreciate that. We didn't have two screens this morning because a breaker went out. God be praised. We prayed for that during the the time before worship, and it happened. God is good. We're going to pray now that God meets us in his word as we understand more about what it means to be welcoming to the stranger among us. Let's pray together. Father, We ask that you meet us in our time of learning from your word. We are so grateful that you have given us challenges from your word that open up our hearts to understanding more about how we show hospitality, how we show love and encouragement to people that maybe we don't know yet, but Lord can can grow in um, being part of our family, the family of God. 
not just here in this community, but also around the world, that we understand that even what we do here can impact other communities in how we show love one to another. We pray, Father, that you meet us in this passage from 3 John, that you speak to our hearts as you spoke through the elder to Gaius, that we can learn, Lord, what, what you saw in Gaius's life that needed to be encouraged, that needed to be named, and the challenges that needed to be put to him, that we can take those challenges in our own hearts, be challenged by them in such a way that they move us from where we are into a new space, a space, Lord, where you're growing in us, where you're making us more and more your disciple, that your Holy Spirit moves in us in that way. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to turn in your Bibles. We're looking at the book of 3 John. I was wrong a couple weeks ago when I said to you that the book of Philemon was the shortest book in all of Scripture because it is in fact 3 John, which is the shortest text, uh, shortest book in all of Scripture. 3 John is going to be literally about two, three books from the very end of your Bible. If you're at Revelation, start flipping back and you'll hit, um, you'll hit the Johns, you'll hit the Peters, if the Johns are right after the Peters, that's where you're looking. We're looking at the third of those books. And John was an elder, and he wrote a series of books. Obviously, he wrote three of them. And what's interesting about his books, Paul's books, because Paul wrote the majority of the letters of the New Testament. So you think about like books like Romans, First and Second Corinthians, First and Second Thessalonians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. All those books are books that are written by Paul. When you get into these books, and all of Paul's books were sort of unified in structure, or oftentimes they were unified in message, or how he was trying to present stuff. The three books of John are actually very different and distinct books, all of them. This is a book that is personal to one person. The person who is receiving this book is a man named Gaius. We're going to read beginning the first four verses. It says this there, the elder to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So hearing John the Elder speak to Gaius, the receiver of this letter, we hear words of encouragement. Gaius is doing things right. And the things that he's doing right, John wants to name for him. But he, he's not naming them just because he's seen them. He's naming them because others have told John about Gaius' behavior. And it's important then for us to understand that what we do becomes our testimony, does it not? That how you and I live is something that carries into the life of others, perhaps that we don't even know. I don't know how many times it has happened, and mine's not nearly as positive as Gaius's is. I will go to a place that I'm a stranger to, a community, a city, a meeting, or whatever, 
And someone will say, what's your name? And I will say, Scott Elgersma. And they will say to me, oh, are you related to? And there's a whole series of people that I can be related to. My Uncle Bill is one that I often get asked about. My Uncle Fred is another one that I get often asked about. My father, my mother certainly is one that I get asked about. My older brother, even my younger sister, but not as much my younger sister. And there are certainly others in my family. And here is the response that I get when people ask me what my name is and find out if I'm an algorithm. And that I'm related to Bill or Fred or Ray or Claire or Jonathan or whomever. They find out, oh... You're one of those elder smuts. It's not an appealing sort of response that I'm getting. It's not like they're carrying with them this positive experience of having engaged with an algorithm because for whatever reason we carry reputation. I have no idea why we're very quiet, soft-spoken, and unopinionated. In this case, Gaius's testimony has been carried by others in a way that has been incredibly positive. Guys is living in the truth. And that truth carries power in those people's lives so that what Gaius speaks and those who are interacting with Gaius, so even John gets the blessing and gets the experience of people who have been blessed by Gaius where John can say, yeah, he's my friend. Or he, in this case, actually, is one of my disciples, one of the people that I've been teaching. That all of a sudden is a testimony that has power in the lives of others. Gaius has been discipled by John and is carrying what he has learned and he's giving it to others. And that's a beautiful part of us living in relationship with each other. And the longer we do that and the more intimately we do that, we learn things one from another when we then are able to bless others with what we've learned. That discipling from another doesn't stop with us. It then moves on into the lives of those around us. We're going to talk about that at length when we hit disciples grow here in the next week or two. Passage continues, verse 5. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together. For the truth. So Gaius is living into this welcoming of strangers. And this has power. And he, God has called him to it. And he calls Gaius to see strangers around him with a kingdom view. Meaning, because here's, here's often what happens, right? Um, we interact with people who are visiting our church for whatever reason, guests in our community. And maybe they are never going to become a part of the river community for whatever reason. Maybe they're vi visiting grandma and grandpa. Maybe they're like, you know, good example here is the oats. The oats are uh, people who have been a part of our community, but they're no longer a part of their, our community. But we have been a blessing to them so that they might be a blessing to others. That's a kingdom view of welcoming those around you, of showing hospitality. You may not, in fact, be blessing this community with the love that we show to the stranger among us. 
But we may be equipping another community with the love that that person then carries that it grows the kingdom of God. These people that Gaius has discipled with love and encouraged are now in the community where John is and carrying the story of that love. For us to have that particular view is important because it enlarges us. It's not just about growing the number of people who attend the river. It's not just about making sure that we have full seats. Instead, it is about making sure the fullness of the kingdom of God is realized in the world around us. And that's a shift in vision oftentimes. Because oftentimes, we're not so concerned about the Baptist church down the street growing. We're not so concerned about the church plant across the street growing. It becomes a competition thing, right? And certainly that is a part of our culture oftentimes. But instead for us to have a larger view, a kingdom view, which says we are part of growing God's kingdom. You'll notice, too, that it's clear that Gaius, in his interaction with these strangers, is speaking a particular language. And it is a language of love. Again, read these words. They have told the church about your love, verse 6. So Gaius has interacted with them in a way that clearly love has been communicated from him to these strangers among them. He has gone above and beyond just saying, hey, how are you? Glad to see you. Welcome to church today. He's lived into a deeper level of relationship with them so that they know that they are loved and that they are valued, which should be a challenge to us. And here's why. Do you know what church does for some people in this world? And in fact, there's people in this room that this affects. There are people in this room who have not shaken another hand today until they hit welcome time. They haven't shaken another person's hand in the whole week. They haven't received a hug this week from anybody. In fact, it's very possible that they were barely even touched in any way this week because of whatever's going on in their life and whatever their situation is. When they come to church here on Sunday and we live into what it means to welcome the stranger with love and hospitality, we are in fact giving them things that so often the world around them will not give them. There are people here who haven't said a thousand words to anybody this week. Now, you know if you have a three-year-old, you hit your thousand words in about the first three hours on Monday morning. But for many people, there's isolation and there's loneliness. And perhaps the extent of their interaction with others was liking four or five posts on Facebook. Was was retweeting something on Twitter. That's the extent of their interaction. That's why even thinking about the challenge of a world where the church is becoming increasingly digital, there are people who are watching me online right now. Hi, how are you? Glad to see you. I'm glad of that. But there's something to this, especially when this is right, when this is good, When you and I are willing to live just simply beyond the handshake, the hug, the high five into what it means to welcome the stranger using God's language and language of love. When we live into that, the kingdom of God grows. And it perhaps affects the river 
Perhaps there's people who experience that and say, hey, I want to be a part of a community like that. God be praised if that happens. But perhaps instead they go to another community and they carry with them some of the love that they have been able to experience here. And if that's the case, God be praised. Kingdom of God grows. So friends, for us to think about, and I'll just say, claim your space, all right? You're obsessive compulsive about where you sit. You sit in that same spot every time. Then those people around you, whether they've been there 500,000 times or whether they've been there for the first time, that you're interacting with those folks with a relationship of love. Because if we can carry that in every section of this church, we're living into God's hospitality in our worshiping community. So that when our worship comes and our songs are raised, they're, they're, they're already impacted by the love that we've been able to experience during a greeting time or a walk-in time or a sitting down looking at your bulletin and on the screen, but looking around or the people around you and interacting with them a little bit. Each of those times become places where we can experience the power of God's love. And there's consequence when we don't. We find out what that is. Verses 9 and 10. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that. He even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. So here's a person, as opposed to Gaius, who is not living into that communication of love to the stranger in the community. And the consequence is that, first of all, John the Elder is going to call him out, but we're going to hear in a moment, there's even more radical consequences for that. John's giving us this massive contrast. With one, a testimony is carried from one person to another of power, of love, of encouragement, of beauty. And from another set of behaviors, a testimony is carried about rejection, isolation, and for, for sure, selfishness. So here's my challenge to you. If you are not hospitable to the stranger among you, I think God's calling you selfish. God's calling me selfish. Because I'm not willing to live into my love call towards that person. The calling that I have been given to welcome that person into my space in the love of Christ that he has given to me through the empty cross and tomb. I'm not, call, I'm not living into that call in the same way that Christ lived into that call even when I was a stranger to him. It should be challenging. There's more consequence. Verses 11 through 14, it says this, Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, 
but I do not not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon. We will talk face to face. Peace to you. Friends here, send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. Now you notice, especially in verse 11, we hear this. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil is not from God. So we hear this contrast between good and evil. Who of the two people represented, Diotrephes and Gaius represents the good. Who is it? Gaius. Who represents the evil? Good luck on this one. Diotrephes. Diotrephes. Good and evil. Welcome, rejection. Hospitality, selfishness. Love, hate. How are you at welcoming the stranger? Good and evil. How are you at being a person who looks at another with the eyes of love that God has given you in such a way that they then can carry your testimony to another? I met that guy. I met that woman. And when I did, there was something that they gave to me. They gave to me warmth. They gave to me care. They gave to me encouragement. And I was better for the meeting. Or they turned their head and they walked away. And that's a challenge for all of us. I have that challenge. I have that challenge certainly in my life. There are, there are times when I am not the most hospitable person. And unfortunately, Sunday is oftentimes one of those days. I'll tell you why, because I've told you before, this is game time for me. I get focused, I get driven, and after church, I am tired. People have said that preaching a sermon is like running a marathon. That means I'm running a marathon every week, and you're wanting, and there's time after when we're down having cookies and coffee that it's, it's hard sometimes for me to do that, but that's something that I have to work on, and I'm committed to it. I hear that challenge. I need to be more hospitable. Okay. Something I'm willing to grow. Where is it for you? Where is that challenge for you? Does it come in you? Because here's what happens oftentimes. The end of the service is coming not too long from now. Within 10 minutes, we'll be done. We have congregational meeting, but the service will be done. Here's what will often happen, right? You're going to walk out of this space and you're going to probably have, possibly have, we'll say it that way, the same conversation with you that you've had with the same person 25 other times that you've walked out of church with them. And you're going to possibly go to the same space in the lobby or at the back of church or stand outside or down in the fellowship hall or meet at the nursery or children's ministry as you pick up your kids. And you're going to have the same conversation with the same people that you've had over and over again. And I get it. There are times that I just like the comfortable. I like the, the, the recognizable. I like the things that I'm used to. But I'll tell you, What about the stranger? And certainly, there are people in this room, this is their first time at the river this morning. And friends who are are guests this morning, and you're here for the first time, I'm sorry, you're here on the wrong message. Just expect to get mobbed after this. I'm sorry. I apologize for that. But for those of you who 
perhaps have been here for a very long time, there's still a lot of people in this room that you don't know. How many of you know everyone in this room? You don't. What does that mean? That means there are strangers. And there might be strangers that you have seen for 20 years. How do you welcome the stranger? It takes courage. I'll tell you what, here's what it, it takes courage. Because here's what you might have to do. I don't know your name. But I'm, I'm Scott. Scott. I don't know your name. I'm Scott. Well, welcome. How long have you been attending the river? And here's the thing that terrifies most of you. They're going to say, for 74 years. <laughs> All right? Let's all just, it's, it's like, let's give forgiveness. This is, this, is, this is forgiveness Sunday on that. And every Sunday is forgiveness Sunday on that. It's okay. You go up to somebody who is a stranger and you ask them how long they've been here. It's been a long time and you should know who they are. Okay, cool. Just forgive that. But then start talking. And the talking can simply be this. How was your week? Anything big this week? Oh yeah, we had this. I had this going on. Have a conversation. And I get it, folks. There's the introvert in here who your blood pressure's through the roof right now. You're terrified of that. Okay, then just do it with one person. One person. And it doesn't have to be 25 minutes. You don't have to go out to coffee and invite them into your home. And they don't, you don't have to get to that point maybe yet. But maybe it starts with just four or five minutes of connecting in love with the stranger. Because you want to speak God's language. You want to speak into the love as opposed to the hate. The good as opposed to the evil. The Christ-like instead of the other. And as we do that, who knows what God might do? And it might even be, then if it, that's what we get comfortable doing, more and more comfortable doing, you know what we might do then? We might actually begin to invite people. People in your neighborhood. People in your community who are looking for exactly the same thing. Because you saw it in the text. The pagans don't offer it. The world doesn't offer what we give. The world doesn't offer that love language of hospitality. Welcome to our space. We're glad you're here. We hope that you experience beauty in God's presence. The world doesn't do it, but we can. Let's together live into that. Let's believe together that as a disciple of Christ, I will welcome. Let's pray. More Jesus in this story of Gaius and John, we hear and are reminded that your language of love and hospitality is something that does have power. It does have power to communicate your love to the world in a way which nothing else does. We pray, Father, that as we live into what it means to welcome the stranger, no matter who that stranger is, how different they are than us, that as we live into that more deeply, your kingdom grows in us and through us. And Lord, we may be equipping this community to grow and flourish. We may be equipping another. 
But Lord, may we be at peace with simply being obedient to what you call us to, to live into the good and not the evil, to live into the love and not the hate, to live into the selflessness, hospitality, and not the selfishness of being closed up. Father, in that, may you be glorified. May our community grow. May the language that we speak here at the river be more and more your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.